on today's message from Harvest Church of God. God already knows what His intention for you looks like. God already knows what His purpose and plan in your life looks like. And God, the Bible said, is committed to get you to that place. In fact, the Bible said He will not take His hand off of you until He has completed the work that He began in you. You are so very special in the eyes of God, and God loves you, and God wants you to become all that you can be for Him. Lord, anoint me with that fresh anointing and help me to get to a place that I'd be compliant with God's will and God's desire for my life. Father, we thank you for another opportunity this side of eternity to stand in this sacred place and examine the contents of your word. We ask you to touch us, O Lord, with divine favor and open unto us an open door of utterance that we might speak with grace and truth to the people at this time. Thank you, O God, for your liberty. Thank you for your deliverance. And I ask you now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. I said last week in a message that the vessel that carries you is not near as important as the message that you carry. So many times we're distraught and fearful and frightful and frustrated about the vessel that's carrying us. And sometimes that vessel can be a, a very unpleasant experience. But I want to tell you the, the message that is inside you, the message you carry around inside you is so much more important than that vessel that may be carrying you to a, a some destination. God is so faithful to His Word. He is bound by His Word. God will never violate His Word. I had a man to tell me one time, he said, uh, the Holy Spirit that I have and the Word of God don't agree. And uh, I was very quick to tell him, then you've got the wrong spirit. You, you don't have a Holy Spirit. You've got some kind of spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit because God will never contradict His Word. The Bible said that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil." So every one of us in this house are made by God. Job said, the Spirit of God hath made me. David said, I was formed by the breath of God. I had life because God breathed life into me. That we all are products of God's hand. In fact, the Bible said, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are the sheep of his pastor. We're the people of his hand. So every one of us here are made by God. And we're made by God to hold something. We're made by God to put something into. If you don't have Jesus, there's an empty place in your heart that will never be filled by anything else that will satisfy until you fill that place with the Lord Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with God, 
Nothing else will suffice. You'll keep searching. You'll keep longing for it, but you'll never find it until you have a relationship with the Lord. That is one thing that's the way we're built. And man is built in a, such a way that we're worshipers. Every one of us are worshipers. Amen. Some of us give vent to it a little bit more than others because in a great house there are many kinds of vessels. But the Lord wants us to be willing to worship Him because He created us for one reason, and that we might be a praise and be a worshiper of Him. In fact, He said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I don't want you to worship anything else. Thou shalt not bow down and worship anything else but me. And God said, I'm very jealous about that. I don't want you to worship anybody else but me. In fact, the Bible said that God so minutely fashioned us. He said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every one of us. It is he that hath made us. And when God made us, he made us to be a vessel. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 and 21, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. Well, there's a word we don't hear very much of, isn't it? Sanctified. Do you believe God is a sanctifier? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, that your whole body, mind, and spirit be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. Sanctification is a setting apart. It really is. Sanctification and holiness are synonymous. They, they mean the same thing. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that without holiness, it is impossible to please God. And he says for us to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. Then God's intention for every one of us whom he has created is that we be sanctified that we be set apart as special and unique unto God. God said, I want you to be my people, my special, peculiar, one-of-a-kind, my peculiar people. I want you. You will be a treasure unto me, God says. All of you that are created in his image and in his likeness, what does that mean? That means that God is a triune being consisting of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost then you are made in the image of God, so then you also consist of three parts. That means body, soul, and spirit. The body is the house. The house that you live in. As you look up here at me, you see the house I live in. The real me is on the inside of this house. The real me, the soul and spirit part of me, will never die. The only thing about Jerry Irwin that dies is the house. One day, if the Lord tarries and time permits, then this house will become unfit any longer for the real Jerry Irwin to live in, and my soul and my spirit will leave this house. Death means a separation of soul and spirit from the body. 
But that soul and that spirit has a form, has all five senses, and a memory. Though disembodied, it exists in the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So then how can I be present with the Lord absent from the body? The soul and the spirit leaves this house and goes to the direct presence of Almighty God. Amen. Where there's joy, bliss, and pleasure forevermore at His right hand. Your loved ones that have gone on before you are right now in the presence of God. Their soul and their spirit is in the presence of God. Yes, their decaying body is somewhere in the cold, cold clay, as they say. But one day the trumpet will sound. And the Bible said, And the dead, sleeping saints, shall hear his voice, and they shall awake. Glory to God. They shall awake. When that trumpet sounds, Immediately, the Bible said, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Glory to the Lord. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In other words, if we ever get to that point, we never leave his presence again. And Luke said in the Acts, he said, neither can they die anymore, and they shall be equal to the angels, being the children of God and the children of the resurrection. Neither can they die anymore. But until that time comes, the Bible said, we are his offspring. We are begotten by God. And the Bible tells us that we are now children of God. The Bible said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now that we have become the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man, and woman that hath this hope in them. Is there anybody in this house have the hope of hearing the trumpet sound and rising to meet the Lord in the air? Does anybody have that hope? Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth, same word as sanctify, purifieth himself even as he is pure. The Bible tells us that no soldier that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. So then this notion that we all are vessels that are made by God, that God's church, God's people are people who have been begotten by God, that have been made in his image and in his likeness. Now, there's a beautiful image of that over in Jeremiah's gospel. Jeremiah's gospel, yeah, Jeremiah was a pretty good gospel. He wasn't a bullfrog, but he was a prophet. <laughs> Jeremiah was a great prophet that never had a convert. Wow. 
never had a convert. His whole ministry was warning. Warning to a sinful, unrepentant nation that had strayed away from God, had disrespected their covenant, that had forgotten all the things that God had told them, don't ever forget. They'd forgotten the statutes, the commandments, and had gone after other gods. And God was very angry with them. And God raised up a Jeremiah, and he said, Jeremiah, I want you to preach to this generation and tell them that I, the Lord, have prepared wrath and punishment for them because of what they've done. Now, I want to tell you, no preacher enjoys preaching warning messages. I don't like telling people if you don't change, you're going to get it. I don't like that kind of preaching. I don't like to preach to people and, and conviction comes upon people and they, they don't feel good and they don't feel good toward you and they don't feel good toward what you preached. Amen. All of us like for you to like the preaching. I love for you to shout at the preaching. Amen. But sometimes it's just not like that because any pastor has to be balanced. I mean, you can't just pre preach joy, joy, joy all the time. You've got to preach the whole counsel of God. You got to take the whole Bible, not just bits and pieces that you want to pick out that tickle our ears. Sometimes you got to preach those things that are warnings that tell people if you don't change, you're headed the wrong direction and you got to change. You're, you're, you're going to reap destruction if you don't change the way you're doing. Jeremiah, that was his whole calling was to call a nation to repentance. I believe God needs some men right now in America that would call this nation to repentance. Now forget it because you won't be popular and you won't be on the talk shows and a secular media will vilify you and call you names and put all kind of labels on you that will hurt your feelings. Amen. Jeremiah preached all those years, never had a convert. But he was faithful to God. And brother, he was very ill-treated, thrown in a pit, left in a pit. Some of you know about Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, when he got his call, God, God spoke to him through uh, object lessons. God told him one time, and this is a little comical to you, told him to go get a girdle. Now, girdles weren't just women's attire back in those days or lingerie. A girdle that they wore, men says you gird about your loins, gird about with truth, says the whole armor of God. And so he went and got a girdle. And the Lord said, what is most impressive about that? He said, the, the strength. He said, it's got strength, that got life. It's, a, it's elasticity. It's got a lot of strength to it. And God said, go over to the rock at Euphrates and bury that garment. And he went over to the Euphrates River area and found a rock there, had a hole in it. He dug in it, put, it, put the garment in it, and filled it back up. Went on about his business, but in process of time, see, God never forgets. Sometimes we think God has forgot, but he hasn't forgotten. God said, hey, Jeremiah, go back over to the rock at Euphrates and get that garment that I had you to pick up. So he goes back over to the rock at Euphrates, and he comes out with the garment, and God said, 
stretch it upon your loins. And when he stretched it upon his loins, the Bible said it just collapsed because it had no strength, it had rotted, it had lost its usefulness. And God said to Jeremiah, he said, my people are like that garment. They have lost their strength and they're profitable unto me for nothing. Boy, it's quiet in this house. Can't even get a baby to cry. God would say about his people that he said would be a treasure, a unique, peculiar possession of his, and he says they're profitable for nothing. Oh, God forbid that we would ever get like that. God forbid that we would ever lose the power and settle for just a form of godliness but denying the power. God forbid that we would be a vessel that is empty and has no message to preach and no anointing. God forbid that we would become like Israel and forget about God and forget about his teachings. But I must tell you that in many parts and in many areas, it's like that. It seemingly feels like the church, churches of America have lost their strength. God help us that if we've lost that strength, to have a revival and recapture that strength and regain that strength. Because God, he said, if you're neither hot nor cold, I'll spew you out of my mouth. God help us. He said, in that great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there are vessels of wood and earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. Those vessels, you remember God also said to Jeremiah, I didn't intend to stay on Jeremiah too long, but he seems like he's preaching pretty good. Jeremiah was told by God in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah, said, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and learn a lesson. I will show you a lesson. I will meet you there and I will teach you something at the potter's house. And the Bible said, so he made haste and went down to the potter's house. Cindy already got this written down in her Bible where I preached this. You can tell you what date I preached it. Because I have preached a lot of times about Jeremiah and one of the most significant things is the potter's wheel. And when he walked in the door, God said, I will show you a work. I will show you a lesson. I will teach you something. He walked in and he started observing. And he said, and the potter wrought a work on the wheels. Now here's something we need to know. Before a potter ever puts the clay on the wheel, he's got a picture in his mind, a vision in his mind for what he wants the end product to look like. In other words, he can already see what it's going to become when he gets through with the spinning and the firing and the whole process. God has a vision for this church. God has a vision for your life. God has a vision for your children, every one of them. Every one of them. You see, Jeremiah is this one that God said in Jeremiah 1 and 5. He said, before you, you were ever conceived in your mother's womb, 
I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet. So God knows us before we're ever born. Wow. God knew Jeremiah and ordained him to be a prophet before he ever was conceived in his mother's womb. Here he finds himself down at the potter's house. And he's watching that, that potter. But that potter who puts the clay on the wheel already knows in his mind what he's going to make and what it's going to look like. God already knows what his intention for you looks like. God already knows what his purpose and plan in your life looks like. And God, the Bible said, is committed to get you to that place. In fact, the Bible said he will not take his hand off of you until he has completed the work that he began in you. God is so committed, he won't throw you away. He won't get fed up with you or tired of you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He'll keep working. Even when you don't think that he's working, he's working. He never stops never stops working. Well, how does God shape me and form me? That, that's a very interesting thing. It said he wrought a work on the wheels, not just one wheel, but wheels, plural. If you would look closely at those uh, archaeological sites where they have unearthed some of these devices that were used for pottery, you'll find out that the wheel was energized by the spinning of the potter's foot. It had one wheel on the bottom, and he would take his foot, and he would give energy to that wheel and spin it with his foot. And as it turned, he would take his hands and would shape and mold the clay. All that a potter needs to work is clay. In fact, he really just needs you to say, Lord, take me because dust thou art and to dust thou shalt return. You're just a great big lump of clay. In fact, if we took all the minerals in you right now, we'd have 98 cents worth. So next time you get to feeling a whole lot of yourself, just consider if I've got about 98 cents worth of minerals in me. That that clay, God is saying to us, if you'll just give me the clay, if you'll just give me your life, give me you, I get up on the wheel and let me shape and mold you and make you then I can create you to be that vision that I have for you. Wasn't that great? You know, sometimes when the potter would be spinning that wheel, the clay would dry out. Have you ever kind of got a little dry? Might as well say amen. Got a little dry, and God was trying to shape and mold, but he wasn't having very good success at it. Wasn't because his fingers were not strong enough. It was probably because your clay had dried out. 
And beside every potter, there was this basin. And you know what it had in it? Water. And he would reach down and he would get some water and he'd splash it on the clay. And immediately that clay that had become hard and brittle suddenly became soft and pliable. Now what is water a symbol of? The Spirit of God. Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit. So what can make me come back to life again? What can get me in a, in a state of usefulness again when I've got hardened and I've, I've become crusty and I'm, I'm a little bit difficult? What will help me get back to a place where God can continue working? I would say the Holy Ghost. I would say if you would say to God, Lord, create within me a right spirit. I think if you would just say, Lord, anoint me with that fresh anointing. Lord, let the dew of heaven, let the, let the water of the spirit of the living God come and shower on my heart and shower on my life and help me to get to a place that I'd be compliant with God's will and God's desire for my life. One other thing about that spinning wheel is that when that, that wheel is spinning, sometimes when things spin, they, they kind of get out of focus. You remember when we were kids, we'd turn around and around out in the yard, and then when we stopped, we'd start staggering around, you know? Some of you might have left home to come to church today and things were spinning. might have been that you left work this last week and things were spinning. You see, that speed of that spinning will dry out the clay. That wind and that air around that spinning motion will cause that clay to dry out and lose its pliable flexibility. You may be in a home situation where things are spinning. You may be in a financial situation where things are spinning. You may be in a relationship that things are spinning. You know what happens when things spin? You can't see right. And you see, when you get to where you can't see right, the devil takes advantage of you. Your lack of your ability to see clearly. People that are spinning, they just don't see good. They don't put things in the right perspective. They don't see the Word of God right. They don't see Jesus right. They don't see church right. They, don't, they just don't see it right. It's out of focus. But one thing the Spirit of God will do for you when you, the potter reaches down and takes that, that water and refreshes, then life comes back. I don't know if you've ever been through that or not. As a pastor, I can tell you I've been through that. I've been through times in my life when I walked out in the yard, looked up into the heavens and said, God, I know you're up there somewhere. I know you are, but I can't feel you. I prayed and my prayers just bounced right back in my face. I've fasted. I've done all that I know to do, God, but it just won't happen. Would you please just let me feel you? If I could just feel you. 
You know, Job and his dilemma, you remember what he said? I sought for the Lord on my right hand, but I could not find him. I sought him behind me, and he was not there. I searched for him on my left hand where he had always been. Where he had always been. Do you have that place that you know where he's always been? Do you have that place that you go to when nothing else works? Do you have that, that place where you pray or Bible verse you read? That thing you do when you really need to touch God and you really need to get in the right frame of mind, that thing that you always go to. He said, I sought for him where he had always been. And he hid himself from me. But he made this statement, but the Lord knows the way that I have taken. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. In all of this, Job did not sin with his mouth, neither did he charge God foolishly. He said this statement, though I can't feel him, though I can't have that exuberance that I have with him. I don't feel that and I don't have that, but the Lord knows the way that I've taken. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I have not failed to walk in his path. You see, when you're a, a vessel of God, and the enemy wants to stop God's work dead in its tracks. He does that by coming against God's people. And when you feel the onslaught of the enemy coming at you, the Bible says there's a secret place in the pavilion of God. There's a hiding place. There's a hiding place in God. You can find that place. And if you will trust God, and if you'll walk, even when you don't feel like walking, if you'll pray even when you search for the words, if you'll put forth the effort, if you'll read your word of God, even when the, the words just seem to not communicate it, you just can't get it through your spirit, if you'll just keep trying and keep going and don't let up, Job's secret to success is he just wouldn't quit. He just wouldn't quit. I asked Mama Wooten one time, how do you live to be 98 years old? She said, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't be so quick to throw in the towel and say, I've had it. Don't be, don't be a quitter. Quitters never win, and winners never quit. You're a victor, not a victim. You're an overcomer. You're a winner, more than a conqueror, through Jesus Christ who loved us, gave himself from us. In that great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. In other words, in the kingdom of God, the work of God, there's a banquet room, but there's also a kitchen. And it's great when you get to work in the banquet room. You get to wear the tuxedo and you get to wear the nice clothes. But when you work in the kitchen, you scrub pots and you pour out grease 
Don't sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of difference in the kitchen and the banquet. And the vessels that they use in the banquet room, they're shiny. I've been to your house when you wanted to impress me. I've eaten at your house when you brought out the best china. I've been at your house when you've got the silver and the gold out and you've got the phostoria, is that what you call it, Debbie? The crystal stuff, you know. When something special is going on. There are vessels of gold, vessels of silver, but there are also vessels of wood and mud. All of us would like to work in the banquet hall, wouldn't we? And there where the vessels are, are on display. We want to put on display. But we don't want people to see our kitchen. Because there's flour on the floor and eggshells laying around. All kind of mess going on in the kitchen that you don't want anybody to go back there and see. You want them to see that pretty crystal out there on the banquet table. Could I tell you this? Everybody's got a kitchen. Everybody's got a wooden spoon that they stir with. All their spoons are not silver. All of their uh, plates and forks, is that they're not gold engraved. All of them are not. In fact, if you were to go on a Tuesday instead of a Sunday, you'd see the tools they really use. You'd see the plates they really eat out of. You'd see the glasses they really drink out of. And some of them don't match. Debbie's favorite cup in the cupboard has got a big old chip out of the side of it where she dropped it. But she loves it so much, she won't throw it away. Still drinks her cup of coffee out of it, even with the chip broke off. Everybody's got a kitchen. In a great house, there are pretty vessels, and there are not-so-pretty vessels. In a great house, there are things that people do that's shiny and sparkly. There are other things that people do that are very menial and not very noticeable. But the purpose, and that it, this is not, and I'm going to hurry, but boy, I got a whole, I'm still on page one. Can you believe that? And there's seven of those suckers down there. I'm telling you, y'all are lucky today. I'm going to quit. Said one time, I'm going to land this plane. Some guy on the front back then said, I believe he's fogged in, folks. <laughs> well, we're not fogged in. I hope we can get it on the ground. The thing about these earthen vessels is that next verse down there tells us a progression, that those 
earthen vessels are not what God always wants them to be. That God wants them to eventually become golden and, and silver. And the sad commentary is some that are gold and silver have regressed back to earth and wood. Judas was a disciple. He was gold and silver. He was a vessel unto honor. But he went the wrong way. He went back to being a vessel of wood and earth. Demas, man, when he started out at Thessalonica and followed the Apostle Paul, wanted to be a, a preacher and wanted to be an evangelist, John, and wanted to be a great, great worker in the kingdom of God and became instrumental and traveled with the Apostle Paul. How in the world could you be that close to the Apostle Paul and backslide? How in the world could you be that close to the man who wrote half of the New Testament and backslide? How could you be that close to a man that shakes snakes off of his wrist and no poison poisons him and backslide? Still quiet in this house. What happened? Demas had gone from being a gold and silver vessel to being a earth and wood vessel. The key to it all is in the next verse. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. In other words, he's telling you how to get from earthen to gold and silver, from wood and hay and stubble to gold and silver, from dishonor to honor. How do I get there? Well, he's already said it in sanctification, hasn't he? In pure, if a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. You mean it's all about servitude? And it's all that honor and being a gold and silver vessel is all about serving God? He shall be a vessel unto honor, fit and sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared. Prepared. Do you have a problem with people who aren't prepared? I used to have a music minister here. He didn't need to prepare. He was so smart and so talented and so gifted that he could just walk in there and do it. And all of my other employees were mad because he didn't spend time preparing. He went to seminary with me. And we were in a historical Christianity class talking about Anselm and Chrysostom and you, you got it, Eusebius, yeah, Irenaeus. And we got through the whole thing and we were about to take the final exam. 
and BJ's who I'm talking about. And BJ had not gone to class. He wrote his midterm paper somehow. On the way up there, it's two and a half hours up there. We left at 4.30 in the morning to get to class. And BJ says, Pastor, what's on the test today? So I told him what was on the test. For two and a half hours, I talked to him about all the historical theology that we had learned all, about every man, Anselm, Irenaeus, Doctor of Reconciliation, went through the whole mess with him. Walked in there and took the test. I made a B plus, BJ made an A. I got a problem with people that don't prepare. <laughs> well, it just happened that uh, that was a female instructor, and she was a praise and worship leader at the church she went to, and BJ was writing her chords and writing her all of her stuff because she wasn't prepared either. She let BJ prepare her. Isn't that something when we get to heaven, we're going to find out a lot of stuff, ain't we? Find out the real truth about this thing. Amen. Before I let you go, I just want to tell you this. You are so very special in the eyes of God, and God loves you, and God wants you to become all that you can be for Him. You ever remember that? Stand with me, and I'll let you go. Boy, I love it when you jump to your feet when I say go. <laughs> What's that song? I want to be a vessel you work through. Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to be more like you. Is that it? I want to be more like you. I want to be a vessel you work through. I want to be more like you. Is that your prayer this morning? I want to be a vessel that you can work through. I don't want to be wood, earth. Now there's in the great house, saved, yeah. Yeah, that old wooden spoon of yours, it's still in the house. It's in the drawer. It's still apart. You just don't show it off much. Debbie's broke cup, it's in the cupboard. It's in the house. So we're not talking about being saved. We're talking about meat for the master's use. We're talking about how somebody really is a contribution, is an asset, really is a benefit to the church, benefit to the things of God. It's important that we are a vessel that he works through, every one of us. Stretch your hand this way. God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every one of these people that have heard this message this morning about vessels in the Lord's house, vessels that are fit for the master's use, vessels, some of them to honor, some to dishonor. And we found out, Lord, by, by purging, we can become vessels of honor, that by purging, by serving, by making a contribution, by doing something for God, 
Help every one of us in this room, Lord, to determine here and now that from this day forward, I want to be an asset to the kingdom of God. I want to be an asset to the church. I want my life to make a difference. I want to count for something. I want to help somebody. I want to be a benefit to Jesus. I want Jesus to see me as a vessel that's a vessel of honor. I thank you, Lord, for those scriptures that awakened in our conscience the power to become all that God wants us to be. And let us, O oh Lord, be prepared unto every good work. Let us be a people, O oh Lord, that you have confidence in, like you did with Job when you said, he'll stand the test, he'll, he'll come out. You won't shake him. You won't move him. God, let Harvest be the kind of church full of vessels that are meat for the master's use. Dismiss us now from this place, but not your sight. Keep us safe from harm and danger till we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.